Simpleton Podcast. This is the official podcast of A Simple House. Hello, Laura Heeman. Hi, Clark Massey. How are you? Doing well. Good. We have kind of a big podcast planned. Um, it's kind of a big bite for us. We're going to try to cover a lot of different stuff. And it's mainly about kind of the shifting political universe we're in as Catholics right now. Um, our, my attempt at kind of like outlining where we want to go is we want to talk about kind of the historical uh, position of the church in U.S. politics, these things that have happened that are kind of like kind of victories of the conservatives right now, like the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Then we're going to talk about um, is there reason to think that there's some hate crimes on the rise against Catholics and whether or not uh, we need to start thinking about that and keeping our community safe and persecution. And we're going to talk about um, perhaps the media bias, historical bias on these things, and kind of a way to view uh, the conservative liberal tension that there is here and what you might do to rationally be prepared. Um, do you have anything to add to that, Laura? No, I think that's that covers, I think that's it. So... Okay, so this is yeah. going to be an enormously big picture podcast. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll be canceled by the end. <laughs> I think uh, if you get canceled, your subscriber base like triples overnight. Well, that's the algorithm, isn't it? That's what we it? need. It's so. the algorithm, Clark. Yeah. Oh, the algorithm <laughs> likes you better. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right, I we think if we put words like um, hate uh, and disgust and et cetera in our title, then we get more views. So Right. Well, yeah. Ben's in charge of titling and he's going to have no shortage of outlandish things he could put yeah. there. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's start with this idea that um, I've always thought the church had an alliance with the Democratic Party and it's been going on at least since um, Kennedy administration yeah. and maybe all the way back to FDR. And it's been this idea that the church cares about the poor and the Democratic Party has done a good job of like, at least at face value, kind of advertising that that's their concern too. And um, the church has cared about social services a lot, including yeah. starting huge social services ourselves, right? Yeah. And I had a, I, I would say this is kind of just almost like a factual, like cooperation between these two entities. And like when we've met big church uh, nonprofits, Catholic charities, they've been very Democrat. They've, they've like, if anything, straight up lobbied for the Democratic Party. And I'm not going to claim that's bad. At this moment in history, it looks ridiculous, I think, yeah, because I yeah. think the Democratic Party and progressivism has kind of gone so far that it's become so uncatholic that it's hard to see that that would have ever been rational for the church to do. Yeah. Or, um, or, or the Democrats. <laughs> Or the Democrats, yeah. right. And I'm hoping to have a political expert on who ran a lobbying uh, agency for the church. So in every state in the U.S., the bishops of that state almost all have a little lobbying agency for, their Catholic, for the Catholic church that's at the state capitol. And the idea is that we're running so many schools, so many hospitals – um, that, um, and pro that we just have like real valid concerns about legislation, right? It's going to affect all these, all the healthcare that we provide. It's going to affect the education we provide. And then there's also pro-life issues, anti-death penalty issues, et cetera. And when I, I had an opportunity to be part of it here in Missouri, where I was on an advisory board and almost everyone else on the board was heading up a major Catholic institution. Wow. I don't really yeah. count simple house as a major one, but I was yeah. at the table and so there was like older nuns who were running hospitals. Wow. Um, yeah. There were superintendents of Catholic school districts. And it was a sense of like the old guard. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like a very Democrat kind of liberal biased group. You yeah. know, and I felt that the energy of the organization was starting to wane because when they would have conferences and things, it was harder and harder to get Catholics to turn out for that kind of like um, old alliance. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more energy in the Catholic Church towards kind of a conservative Republican um, ilk, particularly amongst young Catholics, that the, the power of mustering votes for the lobbying group was starting to wane. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. I was kind yeah. of vocal that they needed to kind of reinvent themselves with the new interests of the Catholic Church and the new kind of people that might be interested to vote. Was there you know? openness? Was there any openness to that? I honestly think they have to be open because yeah. I think that that's just like they'll, they might get smaller and smaller and then have to rebrand a little bit. But yeah, I think um, they listened to me. They, I was a really cool organization overall. I, and I want to yeah. have the guy who led it on because listening to him talk about politics, it was one of the most fair minded people I've ever heard. And I was very impressed by him, mm, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it was a difficult group for that message. Cause a lot of them were, older established you know people in the church who were used yeah. to the old ways right yeah. yeah all right so i think that's changing and i kind of felt like the turning point with the catholic democratic alliance kind of falling apart was i felt like the bishops campaigned pretty hard for uh obama's health care plan right yeah and then right after that health care plan got passed they rewrote it to include, you know, contraception and things like this that were very like, I felt like that was a betrayal of all the energy the bishops put into it. Yeah. And I felt like there was an eye, I felt like that was an eye opening moment. Uh, Sibelius, uh, I can't remember her first name, Kathleen Sibelius was like in charge of it. And she's the old Kansas governor who's very pro choice. And um, that whole healthcare initiative went uh, anti life at one moment. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I do remember that as like a uh, uh, a major point of uh, Catholics having to say, oh, can I participate in this? <laughs> right. um, because there's a lot of uh, things where it's like, well, you disagree and you can kind of politely step out of the room or something. But this was not that, you know. Um, right. This was kind yeah. of and I felt like it was very much a misstep by the Democratic Party. It was kind of like them giving the middle finger to an alliance they had. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and this has been interesting because I also feel like for my whole life, I've never seen conservative victories like the conservatives yeah. have always been kind of like a, uh, a sea anchor to the political movement where they slow down. Like what one critique is Republicans are um, progressives doing the speed limit. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're, they're merely there to slow down the progressives to make it more reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I felt, uh, a lot like in college and through my twenties and it's like, let's see what idiotic thing the, uh, Republicans have done again. And they were giving plenty of fodder, you know? Um, and it didn't feel like there were a lot of like new or interesting ideas coming from the Republican party. And I yeah. would almost argue even today there aren't new and interesting ideas. I think there's new and interesting ideas coming out of conservatives, but it's not clear that they're part of the party. Yeah. And I feel like this all started to change with um, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is not, in my mind, a, a interesting creative thinker, but he no. created space. He like yeah. kind of, this is not business as usual. And then a lot more kind of different uh, conservative thinkers started to get a voice at that time and some interesting ideas arose, but that's not enough. What's interesting is uh, kind of the cultural victories that have happened for conservatives even this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's talk about this, like this new kind of like interesting thing that's happened. So wildly so uh, Roe v. Wade is overturned. Yeah. You know, there's also a, general acceptance that social media platforms are very problematic and that they lean left and that conservatives are getting censored. This seems to be a widely accepted idea. The whole Elon Musk Twitter kind of fiasco that's played out over the last couple of months has been interesting evidence that no one's really debating the premise of the problem. You know, yeah. it's just, it is a problem and it's accepted. And I kind of think the mainstream media is no longer mainstream. So there's yeah, I think we have very, we have different impressions of that, but it's it's certainly on the way out. <laughs> I think we have different yeah. impressions because your parents still like the mainstream media. Yeah. And uh I have two counterpoints. One would be that some of these internet shows are doing better ratings and have yeah. bigger audiences than all of CNN. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And in addition to that, I'm kind of convinced that even the people who agree with the narrative that's being expressed by the mainstream media um, no, it's seriously biased. Yeah. 
like there, there's kind of this acknowledgement that even if you kind of like what they're saying, you don't even pretend it's not biased anymore. Right. Which presents a bigger problem. It's like, you know, like your media is not doing real journalism, but you think it's okay because it serves the right. They're know, on your team. It serves. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're fighting for the team, even if they're not doing anything close to unbiased journalism. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So. That's a dangerous place to be, people who think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want your media on your team. They're in charge of delivering you information to yeah, help form your mean, perspective. Yeah, but I mean, it's just like the, 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 the teams can change. Uh, and we see that, you see that in a revolution. And, you know, like you see right. that in history, right? So, right. All right, so before we talk about evidence that there could be um, some disturbing stuff happening right now against the Catholic Church, everything in Hyattsville that's happened, things that have happened nationwide. Um, I want to talk about what we don't want to do in this podcast. And I've often noticed that there's certain people who seem to have a psychological bias towards like kind of worshiping the past or thinking mm -hmm. that everything older is better. I have this when it comes to machines. <laughs> I love old machines better than anything new you can buy. And, and, and if I've you think chipped. he's talking what? about something, I, I, if anybody thinks you're talking about exciting machines, uh, you're really talking about like washing machines. Oh, yeah. I love like an old, I love old commercial grade stuff. But anyway, yeah. I've actually, it's such a bias in me. I've been ripped off because of this, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, I now own three lawn boy mowers from the 90s. You know, because I'm so convinced they're high quality. And one of them was a piece of junk. And I've got the other uh, one in the repair shop right now. Yeah. They're so awesome. Whatever. I'm not even, yeah. like, you can't overturn my bias. Well, but they're repairable. Right? Also, in, <laughs> I want to say, in, like, in my own marriage, uh, my wife has always thought the world's going to end. Like, she's always thought the world's just falling apart. And I've always been very positive. Yeah. And only in the last couple of years am I like, Ooh. I think you have a point. <laughs> yeah. And what's interesting about that, though, is I don't know that that's completely rational, like her decision. Like she believes it's rational, but I feel like there's a lot of people in life who kind of have a disposition towards optimism or towards pessimism or yeah. towards positivity on the past or positivity on the future. Yeah. And what you don't want to do is have a situation where we're just in confirmation bias. Like you get a couple of pessimists together and they'll talk about the world going to hell. They've been doing this for hundreds of years. Right. Yep. And and then if you go to certain types of media, like the Republicans have been saying that the U.S. is becoming a communist nightmare my whole life. Right. right. And there's something just like untrue about it. It's yeah. not that we aren't taking micro steps towards it or whatever, but you can't always say this is the tipping point, this bill. And they've been saying that for 40 years, you know, that this is, you know, we're yeah. going to be a communist nightmare if you pass this bill, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I saw something that was kind of interesting. Um, one of my, one of our family friends uh, subscribes to the Wall Street Journal, and what's interesting about that was actually we have a couple family friends subscribed to the Wall Street Journal, and I honestly didn't know anyone subscribed to the newspaper anymore, and it made me want to subscribe. Uh, but it was interesting because they talked about how when they're online getting news you never know if you got all of it. Like you keep clicking right. on links. Yeah. And that's actually the point of those links. Like the out, they, they've actually designed the websites to make you dive into a rabbit hole, right? Or yeah. rabbit trail, right? Yeah. And to, and to get off topic and you're, and then you're also finding yourself in echo chambers that just anything to make you stay on is their goal, right? Yeah. They had um, the, I mean, and it's not just, you know, um, anything to make you stay on. Often, um, uh, stories or headlines that kind of uh, incite fear or hatred or disgust, like negative things, um, draw more attention than positive stories. So they will play up. They will play up like negative stories. Um, that's like part of the algorithm. And even to the point that I heard this thing that, uh, like, the UN said that um, the Facebook algorithm like uh, contributed to the. Um, uh, to the genocide of the Rohingya people in Myanmar. Um, so that's interesting, right? Yeah. And it's also interesting. That's all social media. So in social media, you kind of get the echo chamber effect that you end up falling in with a group of very like-minded people mm -hmm. and you get this like confirmation bias thing. Now yeah. to tie that back to newspapers, 
what these guys were saying was they like the newspaper because when they flip through it, they know they've kind of seen every, it's been curated yeah. to an extent. You're like, okay, I saw everything kind of fit to print and sense for today yeah. and I'm done, you know? Um, and you also don't have that social media dynamic of it. So yeah. you have to yeah. trust the wall street journal at some point, which I trust more than the other papers, I guess. But, um, it's just kind of interesting that that gives you a different feel for news than doing it online. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we don't want to be this echo chamber. We don't want to tell you horrible things to make you alarmed. And I feel like that's almost gossip, you know, but there are some things that deserve some attention that might uh, be alarming. Would you like to talk about any of those, Laura? Yeah. So I, um, I think I tend to be like uh, overly positive also in my worldview, you know, and think like, well, you know, people have come out on top. <laughs> we'll do it again, you know. Um, and also recently have had like a few things that I, I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, can can and, we defend that for one moment? Um, yeah. I feel I feel like there's this Christian idea that I do not believe is deeply biblical, but it's definitely accepted by a lot of people that the world is getting worse and worse and worse and will kind of like at the end time like be destroyed in a sense. Yeah. And then Christ will come back. And But it's like the, the idea that the world is supposed to get, get to a certain level of corruption before the end time, right? Yeah. And people accept this almost as doctrine, right? And an alternative view would be like, which I think is a way more optimistic view, is that Christ planted the seed of the church. It's continued to grow. Christ is undefeatable. Also, God is permeated in everything. He literally is holding everything in existence. Even the worst people you know, he has them in the palm of his hand. He is holding them in existence. And that there's reason for optimism. Yeah. You know? And... Yeah. um. Having said that, both Laura and I are biased in that direction, and we're going to tell we're you that we're rethinking our. I mean, I guess like <laughs> bias. <laughs> yeah, in like uh, sort of, I I think people would point like to the Book of Revelation and like, but I I don't know. I think that it's like there's always, you know, you can look at any age and say, see, you know, people have been doing this for centuries. Like we're here. See, you know, the natural disasters and the politics, and this person is the Antichrist. You know. Um, and so it's just interesting that, I don't know, you can just apply that in many times that we've been in, um, but. You could also apply it in the first couple of centuries of Christianity. Like yeah, it's possible yeah. that like oh, some of the things Jesus said about um, end times were kind of prophecies of the fall of the temple. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to sell that hard because I don't know that I believe that hard. I also don't know that Jesus wasn't prophesying about multiple times with that prophecy. Right. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it is but like, also it's a way. like, yes, um, that we can build the kingdom here really, you know, <laughs> is also. Right. Um, yeah. right. Otherwise, Jesus is a defeatist. You know, it's like right. he planted yeah. a church that was meant to never succeed. Yeah. You, you know, if you look at... Um, people that decide that everything is bad in their life, you know, <laughs> um, experience life that way with that lens, you know? And so then everything does suck, you know? Um, right. And uh, so there's like a kind of psychological thing that I think we can do to ourselves, you know, where it's like we... Um, yeah, if you're a pessimist, you kind of make your life kind of feel like it sucks all the time. Yeah. And if you're... Yeah kind of this optimist we're talking about, you also could be naive. Yeah, you can be naive, but but if you're optimistic, there's sometimes like, um, there's opportunities that you see, there's people that you, you know, there's, you you don't miss all the things that, that could make your life better, you know? It's also um, easier to have the virtues of faith and hope. Yeah, yeah. The more optimistic you are. All yeah. Right, having said all this. Anyway. Some things have happened that, that give us pause. There have pause. been a few things that have given me pause in the last year. Oh, I don't know. So, um, you know, I live in Hyattsville, which depending on who you are and what your point of reference is, you might have a very different idea of what Hyattsville, like Maryland, is. And some people might think Hyattsville, Maryland, is uh, like Catholic Wonderland or center of a religious cult maybe um some people might think like uh hyattsville is this great place to move if you're like a very progressive uh 
liberal and uh, those those two types of people are living in this neighborhood um, and there is some tension that arises from this <laughs> um, but a few things that have happened so one is in the winter during COVID there was um, people kind of spread nasty rumors about our school and um, kind of were basically lying about how well we were or weren't following COVID mitigations. And the whole neighborhood listserv jumped on how uncatholic and unloving the school was and should the school be in the neighborhood even and that we were a danger to the neighborhood. And this happened in lots of places, but the thing that was interesting was it, it came out um, how much some people in the neighborhood like really hate the school <laughs> um, because of its Catholic identity specifically, it seemed like. Then we had another thing in leading up to the Roe v. Wade decision being overturned officially. Um, you know, there was this group, Jane's Revenge, uh, threatening to vandalize uh, churches and someone spray painted revenge on the school playground like five days before the decision was released. So, and that didn't get any public response. I don't know. Uh, and then we had a history camp, um, which we've been having in the local park every year. Um, it was, a, it's like a war reenactment. They do like all the American wars. And this year it was the civil war. Unfortunately, it uh, coincided with the um, federal celebration of Juneteenth and people found this distasteful, um, including like a kind of a person that kind of went nuts and destroyed some of the kids' property, uh, was threatening um, the people in charge of the camp. This is relevant because the camp is run by the school principal. It's separate from the school though. Um, and was was like screaming obscenities, you know, in front of like 10 year old children. And, and, when, and am I right that when the community went to the police with the threats, the police didn't do anything or what was their response? So the police response was kind of like what you really want us <laughs> to pursue this. Um, and then there were, it did seem actually like there were some police like very, like were taking it somewhat seriously. Um, they say that it's an ongoing investigation that they're looking for the person um but they have not found the person and it's people that have talked to the police like parents of campers are more or less convinced by how you know seriously the police is taking this but it was not clear that the police was really gonna go search for this man and then on top of that like uh local politicians like jumped on top of it you know, on Twitter, singling out the school. Again, it was not a school event, um, but it makes me nervous anytime anybody like singles out our kids on any social media or on a community listserv as, you know, anything negative because I don't, I don't want any crazy person to have any fodder to want to <laughs> like, you know, hurt our children. Um, so the interesting thing was the, that it's like, might there be a sort of common sense of like morals, ideals, community protection <laughs> that you could count on that is eroding? And I think that that's true also in your area with the Supreme Court justices, because right. I don't think legally you're allowed to harass judges to try yeah. to influence their decisions. Like that's illegal. Yeah, but, but we've had people protesting outside their homes. Including an attempted assassination. Yeah. And... There has not been a legal response. There has yeah. not been um, the protections that are part of the law are not being enforced by the district attorney or the police. They aren't stopping these this harassment, which yeah. makes you believe that uh, in, in the same way the Roman Empire had persecutions, it was just kind of like, let the anger crowd do what it wants, wink, yeah. wink, don't yeah. intervene. This is kind of like what appears to be happening right there, right? I don't know, like just to really think about what this means, like like Amy Coney Barrett has like school aged children in her house and there are angry people outside her house. Like just right. imagine that, you know, um, it's it's been interesting, though, because the Supreme Court is weirdly Catholic. 
Like it seems like yeah. every conservative justice is Catholic. <laughs> there, we, like there are many. Um, yeah. You'd think there'd be a mix of evangelicals and Catholics, but Catholics seem to be carrying the water on the Supreme Court for the pro-life stuff. Yeah. Um, Another thing that is interesting is I just found out that since 2020, there have been 156 instances of like um, like vandalism, uh, arson, toppling statues, desecrating churches, um, desecrating tabernacles in, in the U.S., 156. And I don't know. Like I asked my husband Ryan to guess how many and he guessed 25. Oh, he guessed. 20. Oh, so there's far yeah. more than what you'd think. Right. And these I mean, are only the ones that made some form of no local news coverage. Like are, that's how yeah. these are gathered. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and he, around here, I heard through the grapevine that one of the local convents had some rifle shots fired at it. Yeah. Know? I heard that. I heard that like a Benedictine sisters. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I heard that as well. That's interesting that that news traveled all the way out to you. And so there's this sense in which. Um, we don't know how much bad stuff's happening. There's also the targeting of the pro-life clinics that yeah. was happening ever since the leak of the uh, first draft of the Roe v. Wade decision. Mm -hmm. That was not getting in the news, so we need to talk about that. So that so because this stuff isn't isn't being broadcast, uh, you have to do some work to find out what's really happening. And yeah. there's not a sense in which people are maybe alarmed enough about it. Yeah. And the other thing that's going on is there's kind of this widespread feeling of justifiable violence amongst progressives. Like when the Black Lives Matter riots happen, um, mm -hmm. there's a sense in which that violence is justifiable for change. Yeah. And if I believe that if conservatives did similar types of violence, it would be absolutely, you know, everything, everybody'd go nuts. Well, January... I don't really want to go into January 6th, but that's an example of this. 6th. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's right. like, you know, there've been some other incidents where there's been some storming of some other buildings that aren't getting the same coverage, Yeah, yeah but I kind of exactly. want the book thrown at the January 6th thing. I just also want the book thrown at yeah, everyone thrown at else who's else. been yeah. threatening rule of law. So, right. Um, all right. Yeah. I want to just comment on the justifiable, justifiable violence and just link that back to the media. It's like, well, it's, you know, the media can be biased um, as long as it's on our side. The violence can be, you know, and if you lose the principles, you know, it's like there's a, a sort of willing losing of principles that have guided, you know, like democracy <laughs> um, and uh as a sort of ends justify the means kind of idea, you know, and I, I think that's that's troubling. Um, but you want to know what is another uh, rabbit hole that you, you you pointed out that the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral uh, fire was like ruled accidental really quickly, and I was like, okay, Clark, <laughs> I I thought I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to a conspiracy theory, but I thought that was out there. And when I, I started looking that up, it was shocking. Um, like I read earlier today that in 2020, there were like 857 anti-Christian acts in France alone in the year 2020. So an anti-Christian so, act is not like an insult. What, what, what was the definition yeah, it, used like, in that article? Um, it, was, it was very broad, but it was like vandalism, violence, um, desecration, uh, harassment. And not, arson. Not just, yeah, and arson. Right. Arson is very arson, significant in France right now. Yes, arson is happening a lot in France. Um, and I read elsewhere that there's like one to two church, um, like, vandalism or arson crimes in France per day on average. And that's like really wild and does not get a lot of coverage, um, neither here or in France. Um, for scope, the justifiable sense of violence, <laughs> again, um, like uh, I asked a friend who works at the USCCB about it, and he said that um, like synagogues and Jewish people are targeted way more than, um, than Catholics. Christians. Okay. Um, so I just think it's that we have like a very large number of religious people being targeted and it's not getting any play in the news. So hardly. Yeah. All right. Let's summarize what's been said. 
there's a lot more incidents lately of anti-Catholic, uh, and I don't know what the right word is, like uh, property destruction mm-hmm. or threats, right? Mm-hmm. There's also a feeling that violence is justified. Um, the Jewish community, which is smaller than the Catholic community, is even getting more uh, violence right. against it, which is proportionally even greater, you know, just because they're a smaller yeah. community. Yeah. Um, okay, so all of that's given us some pause, and a lot of this has kind of come into this idea of media bias. And I want to kind of talk about that in terms also of historical bias. Like one of the things I think we see with this media bias is they're kind of robbing um, certain viewpoints of solidarity. Like why year after year do they never cover the March for Life? And the reason was, is they didn't want to give like a cultural win or a something that allowed people who are pro-life to feel like, oh, there are people like me or oh, we might make some progress here. They wanted to kind of rob the movement of that energy, right? Yeah, yeah. I went to, the first time I went to a pro-life march, I was like 14. So, but I had a friend that went like to, for the first time as an adult, and she was like blown away because she thought there was going to be a few hundred people there. You know, that was her impression her whole life growing up of what the pro-life march was. And so it seems like the same thing is happening here where, there's a certain amount of like anti-Catholic or anti-religious kind of persecution happening, but they don't want to print any of it or emphasize any of it in kind of the national dialogue. uh, Partly to, I guess, deceive us that it's actually happening, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And one of the things I wonder about this is I would say that in a way um, this is troubling this has kind of opened my eyes that this is troubling beyond the current moment, you know? Yeah. Like I thought the way the protests around black lives matter, the ones that went violent were covered was weird. You know, it just seemed like weird that it wasn't bigger news in Mm -hmm. some of the major media outlets. Yeah. And if you look historically, there's kind of even this in our history books, meaning like the riots that happened after the death of Martin Luther King, I believe are the biggest thing that shaped American cities. Um, along with desegregation of schools. And we do not learn much about them. We don't even learn really the history of what made the American inner city so bad in the seventies and eighties. And some cities have gotten out of it and some cities haven't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And also just things like um, the kind of terrorist acts, like by the weathermen and things like how history remembers in a sense, a liberal terrorist. It's just very different than we remember a right-wing terrorist. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I think you can even go back to um, like an obvious thing. Like th- this stuff isn't hidden. This stuff just isn't emphasized. Like if you just kind of look at the murder counts of people like Hitler, Mao, and Stalin, these guys are peers. Yeah. You know, in fact, yeah. some of them murdered more of their own citizens than yeah. Hitler. Yeah. Hitler was like, right. Exactly. He, like Hitler's way more. not way, alone. Way as, more. Like a super yeah. bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> and, exactly. The only, the two differences I see is that one, Stalin and Mao were our allies for a moment. Yeah. And the other thing is Stalin and Mao were liberal and Hitler was, Hitler's considered conservative, but I, I, I still question whether or not he is because, you yeah. know, he's a member of the Socialist Party in Germany and it's just kind of weird. I, I've always wondered yeah. why Hitler is considered so conservative, but, um, yeah. but all of this seems like all of this kind of leads because not only is our media bias, but even kind of our, the way we kind of construct the understanding of history for most people, like a high school level education in history is where we kind of get this term. You're on the wrong side of history. Yeah. History starts looking like a, uh, progression of victories. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. A progression of victories, a series of victories by progressives and literally conservatives have no vis- victories in history. Yeah. And I think, That's interesting. That's interesting for a few reasons. Like one, if conservatives typically are against change and liberals are typically for change, Mm -hmm. then every good change will be attributed to liberals and every bad change will hopefully be undone very quickly and it won't really be a big deal in history. Yeah. So history will always look kind of liberal until you have something like the fall of the Roman Empire. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, or the fall of an empire, you could you might blame on some liberal tendency or some they weren't being conservative enough. But overall, history does look like a progress of liberal ideas. Mm-hmm. 
I think it, it's kind of a weird statement to be on the wrong side of history because we know history is written and rewritten for one and two. It's 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 just dangerous. It's like you're going to abandon your principles, your beliefs, what you believe is a right way to act to appease your guess of who's going to be thinking about you <laughs> when you're dead. I don't know. It's kind of a weird guiding star whatever you know like yeah it, it's a weird statement it's just it, the question is like yeah. one is it true and two if it's not true why is it so prevalent an idea you know you know i think the first time i heard that phrase i found it kind of moving like and i think it moves a lot of people <laughs> i think also like as like someone who's more or less optimist mystic about humanity um it it's a it's a phrase that would make you have appeal right yeah um but I think this kind of goes into like what is liberalism and conservatism very broadly. And I think there's maybe three. I like these three theories because they're not theories I grew up with. They're theories I've kind of heard of recently. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of each capture something, you know. Yeah. And one is that um, that a conservative is one who is kind of views that the natural state of man is barbarism. And that this civilization is what we've constructed to get man up out of that state, mm -hmm. right? And that you better maintain this civilization. You better defend the Constitution. You better work on these social um, uh, entities that are important, including the church, in order to keep us from falling back into the rape and murder and pillaging and death um, yeah. and lack of technology also. That is like what happens when there's no civilization, you know, yeah. and it's why we called the dark ages in Europe, the dark ages originally, because it was a great fall of civilization. Yeah. You know, um, some Catholics try to apologize for that and say it wasn't really a dark age. It's like, I think you're missing. I think, I think it was a dark age between like yeah. the fall of Rome and Charlemagne, not all the middle ages. That's not a term for the yeah. high middle ages. It's the early middle ages, but it's like, you have to acknowledge that something went wrong there, yeah. you know? And um, so conservatives are concerned with this. And then like, the liberal perspective would be like um, a very uh, almost like a romantic notion of man before civilization, that he was more at peace, more in one with nature. He was more in harmony and that civilization's what's brought problems upon us. But maybe we could get civilization right if we're enlightened enough. But in the process of burning down all these institutions, we're probably making way for um, – an ever greater civilization or a step forward yeah. um, as opposed to you burn down these um, civic institutions and you end up with barbarism that we're protecting us. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is one way to understand it. Another way to understand it is that a liberal is one who is open, open to the foreigner, open to the foreign ideas, open to the foreign technology. And a conservative is the one who is more like the foreigner has dangers inherent in them. You know, the foreigner yeah. could be an invader. The technology could be negative. Diseases can come in. Um, the foreigner can weaken your society in some ways through thought or through, you know, yeah. um, other ways, right? And in this view, uh, I feel like in the first view I articulated, one could be right, one could be wrong. In this view, they're both right, you know, yeah. and they actually need each other. Yeah. That, the liberal needs some conservatives because it is insane to be completely open. And the conservative right. needs some liberals because it is insane to be completely closed, but they need to kind of have this like tension. Yeah. You know? Um, and the third view I thought was kind of interesting is that liberals in America today, it's hard to like figure out why all the policies connect. Like why is an environmentalist also a feminist, also an anti-racist, also a, you know, like why do, what's the connecting thread? And one idea is that they view you know, our state as a mother figure, like they're using this metaphor in their mind for the state and a conservative is using the metaphor for the state as a father figure. Like the father's the one who kind of kicks you out of the house, makes you toughen up and the mother's the yeah, one who wants yeah, to take care yeah. of you all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one thing that also came out of this that I think has to do with this bias in history and this bias in media is something that's come to be called um, this idea of the cathedral. And it comes from the Middle Ages, that in the Middle Ages, you had a bunch of countries, Catholic countries, that had their own cultures, their own languages, their own states. 
And there was this international institution, which is the Roman Catholic Church, that had cathedrals in all these nations, that had schools in all these nations, that had a subclass of priests in all these nations, right? And had allegiance also from the citizens. So the citizens were allegiant to the state and to this Mm -hmm. church, right? And so in a sense, the state would have an agenda and the church would have an agenda. And the church's agenda wasn't based usually on military force or anything like that. It was based on like the right thinking, the right thing Mm -hmm. to do, the like moral good, you know? And they often controlled the universities, right? Well, we've talked in a previous podcast about the rise of secularism and why that maybe started out as a good thing. Like we needed a space where people who don't have the same religion can have a rational dialogue and not constantly be citing a Quran or citing a Bible, right? Um, But then somehow secularism got legs and became its own biased religion well, yeah type right thing. it's it, right it became i think it's like by calling it a cathedral you're implying that it has like uh people that kind of follow it religiously and also that there's a dogma you know yes and yeah. that the, the cathedral part is not the idea the cathedral part is that it took over like the cathedral yeah. represents a power structure that has is not usually talked about like we usually talk about power as politicians or the state and the military yeah. and that, or maybe some rich people and that's power. Right. Yeah. But there's this other type of power. That's like the power of the media, the power of the universities, the, yeah. the, like why is there this kind of progressive ideology that seems to be common in Europe and in the U S and in Australia and, in you know, like mm-hmm. why are, is this, why has this idea yeah, and risen why, and why taken control? Isn't there great diversity of thought at all the universities when we have all these different professors, all these different deans, you know, um, right, right. Like they were set up for diversity of thought, or yeah. I think they were set up for diversity of thought. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but like they're not really um, representing that, and thus they're retelling history. Um, mm-hmm. Like, like another thing would be like the French Revolution. You know, like is that a positive or a negative event? Yeah. You know, it's typically yeah. thought of as positive, but man, it's a pretty troubling event. It went to the yeah. reign of terror and it failed because Napoleon took charge. Yeah. You know. Yeah. In many ways, it just failed. So, right. and Napoleon's crowning himself emperor, just like he's the new royalty who they just had all killed, you yeah. know? So they're getting to have all this power that's kind of like outside normal power that we think of. Yeah. And this group seems to not like the Catholic Church. <laughs> seems, yeah, just to, to put it mildly. Uh-huh. <laughs> they haven't declared open warfare on the Catholic Church, but they're not fans of the Catholic Church. I think that's pretty safe to say. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So having said all this, I think we've talked that there's just some data. There's just some events, like the 156 uh, vandalism or acts of violence against churches. Um you know, what you're seeing in your local community. We just have some data to suggest things are getting kind of hot in here, you know? Yeah. And probably maybe not historically that hot. Um, yeah. Like if you were to think of like Catholics were persecuted in the South, uh, the Irish were persecuted, blacks have been persecuted as the most notable American, yeah. you know, persecution, you know? So I don't know that we're, I mean, the KKK hated Catholics. Yeah. Right. So I don't yeah. know that we're anywhere close to a historical high in persecution, right? right? But it seems higher than it's ever been in my lifetime. Would you agree yeah. with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, that somebody wouldn't be outraged by, you know, like uh, police politicians uh, wouldn't be outraged by a church being burnt down or <laughs> um, school children being verbally attacked. Like here's an example that kind of is like the Hitler Stalin Mao thing. Like if they yeah. all should be considered peers, right. But like, uh, the Spanish inquisition or the crusades, these are incredible. The, the bad things happen in both those times. Right. Yeah. I don't want to whitewash them anyway, yeah. but man, the amount we are taught about it as like yeah. horrible, evil moments evil, in history. Yeah. And we're not talked about anybody else's yeah. religious, you yeah. know, wars or whatever and they're overstepping is weird it's you know yeah and um and right now i feel like you know the same thing happens with like if yeah i think what you just said like if if something bad happened to a pro-life activist there'd be a little bit of they had it coming yeah you know that would be the sense yeah and 
and I like I know other other groups of people have had that, you know, in our country, right? <laughs> but um Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, no, in this our is lifetime like... we have not been used to have it, you know, missing that and so I think all we're noting is that it's at a high in our lifetime, but it's maybe not at a historical high. Right. 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 And the other thing is like before the great, so the greatest persecution we all know about, well, is usually the Jewish Holocaust during World War II. Yeah. And that was predicted by a lot of people, including G.K. Chesterton. And I've heard some people argue that G.K. Chesterton maybe is an anti-Semite. I don't really think so, but he definitely argued I, well, yeah. I just read myself that he argued, I just stumbled on this one time, that he was arguing that you guys need to create a Zionist state like in Israel because things are getting bad in Central Europe and there's going to be a lot of people dying if you don't. You know, wow. like there needs to be like a pressure relief valve for Jews to escape to, right? Wow, yeah. And so he predicted the Holocaust, you know? Yeah. And I've also read um, or just listened to people whose families left Germany because it was getting hot there. And they yeah. left in time to yeah. not suffer through the Holocaust, right? Right. And I so, think like Cuba and yeah. So uh, this is other, a rational yeah. thing to think about, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think we're there yet, but it's just something to always be thinking about. Yeah. Well, you can't wait till you're there. <laughs> right. You don't want to yeah. be, the, you don't want to be the, <laughs> the, the guy who was the person who came to the decision too late, you know? Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so what's rational here? Like, given the data we have, what's a rational response of Catholics? I, I think we have to view, I think your first job is to live well in the status quo. Meaning, mm -hmm. like, if your marriage is suffering, if your career is suffering, if you don't have quite enough money, go fix that. Don't worry about this. This is a sideshow to you. You have to yeah. figure out, you have to kind of cover your basic basis first, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, if you got a mental health problem, go deal with that. Don't worry about persecution, right? Yeah. But once you get a little bit beyond those things and you're doing okay, does it make sense to think about an insurance policy? Yeah. Well, I, I think one thing that you have to, people should be thinking about is like, in my career, am I able to hold my views? <laughs> like, is my career a safe place for me to stay in and if i am not going to be able to be here what's right. how am i going to make our like, family more resilient you know or myself or whatever right do you have an yeah. exit plan are you developing another yeah. skill if you don't think in the long term yeah. that this this career might exist for you yeah. uh due to like toxicity in the workplace due to you know anti-catholicism um, yeah. Have yeah. you like paid down your mortgage to the point or saved some money so that if you did need to leave, uh, you don't have to stay at a bad place because otherwise yeah. you can't pay your mortgage next month, you know, like yeah. little precautions like that make you more resilient. Yeah. Um, and I think like, you know, I mentioned this in a prior podcast, like the, the Jewish community in New York city is just amazing that they've just held on Yeah. being so, like, I mean, this is not an insult, but they're weird looking. Like, they're just like, they separate from everyone. They're running yeah. their own economy. Partly just as like an insurance policy against getting cut out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And intolerance. Yeah. Let's try to wrap this up. I Yeah. Well, there's a lot of interesting things happening. I think the most positive thing you can do to change the national, uh, or change the temperature of society is in a sense... Um, not give in to this cathedral thing, you know, yeah. and to, to construct something that's an alternative. Like yeah. you as maybe you as a Catholic going into academia makes sense, but probably that's a meat grinder for you. Yeah. yeah. You almost have to create a, a different place where interesting ideas are being discussed. Um, maybe a different type of university. Like we already see Catholic schools that are totally out of step with um, the modern university system. Like I don't think right. Steubenville or Benedictine or TAC or Christendom. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some schools that seem to be doing both well. Like I say, I think CUA and Notre Dame are kind of doing a decent job of both being fully part of the modern university yeah. system and yet very different. Yeah. You know, you talk about reasonable preparedness. You have to engage the ideas at some level, but the ideas can, uh, you know, keep you up at night <laughs> and prevent you from doing kind of you know, part A, which is, you know, be a good mother, be a good father, son, daughter, whatever, you know, um, 
Yeah, sometimes worry and fear gives the devil too much power. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, um, like, I see that with, like, fellow moms here. It's like, um, I have a lot of friends that, you know, read the news for a while, get caught up for a few weeks, and then unplug for a few weeks, you know, or longer, um, because it's like, you know, I don't know. And really big picture, um, like part of the power of the early Christians was they weren't afraid of death. Yeah. And I'm not trying to get anybody to, there's no reason to die right now for anything. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> what I, what I mean by that is they knew they didn't have to win. Yeah. You know, the goal of Christianity is not to always win. It's to stay true to God and be in relationship with God. Yeah. You know, and when you feel like that's at the center of your faith and the center of yourself, then, you know, kind of these problems are just problems to be handled. They're problems to be managed, but they're not actually, they shouldn't be like keeping you up at night in a sense. Yeah. If they are keeping you up at night, it may be that's happening because you haven't bought an insurance policy yet. You haven't like worked on a plan, <laughs> you know, and it, you need to work on a plan maybe, yeah. but um, it's just something to keep an eye on, you know? And I think, yeah. I think it would be dumb, even though we're not at like some point like GK Chesterton, when he kind of talked about that the Holocaust was coming. I don't think we are at that point um, at all, but yeah. I think you want to, keep one eye open on this yeah yeah i think that's a good conclusion great all right okay. i'll talk to you later sorry great. for the the heavy podcast everybody please subscribe <laughs> like uh give us feedback on this talk to you all later right.